Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Sharon Houston. The girl who, who lived here uh, died. And I looked at him like, mm. And he said, oh, don't worry. She didn't die in here. She died somewhere out there. <laughs> that and more. But before that, I just wanted to let you know that today's show is brought to you by Harry's. Visit harrys.com and use the promo code R-I-S-K to save $5 off your first purchase. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com and the promo code is RISK. Also, I hate to break it to you, but mailing and shipping are part of running your business. <laughs> yes, it's terrifying, I know, because you might think you have to go to the post office, but that's a routine you can change. There's a much more convenient way, which is Stamps.com. Stamps.com brings all of the services of the post office right to your desk. You can buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer. You can print postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail. Then just hand your mail to the mail carrier. You'll never waste valuable time going to the post office again. We use Stamps.com at Risk and the Story Studio, and we love it. And right now you can sign up for Stamps.com and use our promo code R. R-I-S-K. For this special offer, it's a four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer, including postage and a digital scale. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in RISK. That's Stamps.com. Enter RISK. <laughs> oh. Now here's the show. Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Victor Sweer behind me now. We're calling this week's episode Zoinks. This is the first of our two scary stories episodes this year. It is, of course, late for Halloween. We're it's become a tradition now for us to put the show out after Halloween because you guys don't send in the goddamn story pitches soon enough. So listen, right now I have to be telling you all, send me your Christmas stories or Hanukkah or um, Kwanzaa or Festivus, whatever you got for the winter holidays. Send that shit in right now, motherfuckers. You know where to find me. Kevin at risk-show.com. A few weeks ago, I didn't know if we'd have any scary story episode this year. 
but now we've got two. We've got a lot of wonderful stuff. So come Monday, November 9th, you'll hear the second edition. But, you know, scary stories are fun all the year round, my friends. So buck up, Buck Rogers. And if you don't happen to be named after a fictional character living in the 25th century, you know, just do whatever you like. In a little bit, we're going to hear from New York-based Megas and uh, storyteller Nelson Lugo. But before that, we're going to hear from actress, writer, comedian Sharon Houston. Oh, fuck my ass. <laughs> In New York, we have a street that spelled Houston but is pronounced Houston. So now I sometimes mispronounce Houston. Anyway, here she is now at the Risk Live show that we do once a month at the Nerdist Showroom in Los Angeles. It's Sharon Houston with a story we call The Lightbulb Moment. I was 21 years old in 1995 and uh, a complete fucking mess. And it wasn't any fault of my own. I had done some things in my life to try to make things better and it made things worse. One of them was I found my biological father, reintroduced him to my biological mother. They fell back in love and remarried again, which normally would be a beautiful story. But my dad and I just didn't see eye to eye and he kind of pushed me away from the family. And then I was also living with a guy 10 years older than me and I was in school and like I couldn't even go to study hall without him like stalking me or, you know, getting extremely jealous. So I'm, I'm in this horrible relationship and my parents aren't speaking to me and I'm just like, what the fuck am I doing? And that's when I was like, that's it. I'm moving to New York City. I've always wanted to be a comedian. I'm moving to Manhattan. So I finished out my last semester. I worked three jobs over the summer. I had hardly any money. I had my two cats, the clothes on my back and a television set, and I headed for Manhattan. Now, let me tell you, when you move to New York City from a small, smaller town, it was Richmond, Virginia is where I was living, everyone's like, oh, you're going to get raped and murdered and mugged. They're like, oh, everybody's terrible, you're going to die. You're never going to make it. Matter of fact, that uh, possessive boyfriend kept my bike and some of my furniture and was like, you'll be back in three months. You're never going to make it. My mother was like, can't you be a travel agent? <laughs> can't you be a bank teller? I mean, my God. I mean, I was like such an embarrassment because I wanted to just fucking do what I wanted to do with my life because I felt trapped and I felt alone and I felt unloved. So I was like, can't be any worse in Manhattan. So a friend of mine told me about a two-month sublet in Jersey City, so I had a place to live. And I got to tell you, when I lived in New York... I hit the ground running. The city embraced me. I got a job almost immediately. When I got lost on the subway, people gave me directions. People held open doors for me. I did not have problems with the living human beings in Manhattan. My problem was with the dead. Thanks for laughing at that, because it's, it's supposed to be funny. One of my, my girlfriend who hooked me up with the... Uh, with the sublet in Jersey City called me one afternoon and was like, hey, I heard about a studio apartment available in Hell's Kitchen. Call this guy and go meet with him. And everything in Hell's Kitchen at that time, like a studio was $1,200 a month. Hell's Kitchen was still kind of Hell's Kitchen. It hadn't quite been Disneyland-defied yet. 
so there were still pimps, there were still porn theaters, but I wanted to fucking live there, you know? I'm like, I love in here. So I, I, I went to this building. It was on 56 between 8th and Broadway. And I called the guy and made an appointment, and I go to the front door, and it's this five-story walk-up right next to Patsy's Italian restaurant. It had two security doors, the kind that you see at, like, off-track bedding. You know, so it's, like, glass, but it's, like, scraped up, and it's got those weird wire crisscrosses. So there's two of those. I buzz the buzzer that says super, and the super comes down the stairs. He's got this crazy afro, light-skinned black dude. He's got a belly. He's got on a wife beater. He's got on dickies, and he just fucking glared at me. And I was like, ah. (laughs) You know, like, hey, I'm here for the studio. He unlocked the first door, glared at me through the single pane, opened the next door, and he went, hey, my name's Chris. Really nice to meet you. Come on in. (laughs) Never judge a book by its cover. Uh, So he he walks me in, and he's like, you know, the apartment you're here to look at is actually taken, but lucky for you, another one just opened up. So he takes me to apartment number two. It's on the second floor, and we go down this narrow hallway, and he opens up the door. And it's a gorgeous studio apartment with tall ceilings, big eat-in kitchen, huge bathroom, and it's filled with someone else's stuff. It had like uh, two chairs, a coffee table, a couch. There were like magazines and newspapers thrown thrown all over the floor. Uh, There were clothes in the closet. Like it just looked like something bad happened here. And he's like, well, uh, you know, uh, this is the apartment. Um, If you you want it, you know, you're going to have to clear all the stuff out. Uh, I'll pay for the paint, but you'll have to paint it. You know, the girl who, who lived here uh, died from a heart murmur. She was 27. And I looked at him like, mm. And he said, oh, don't worry. She didn't die in here. She died somewhere out there. <laughs> and he literally gestured out there. And I was like, well, I guess, you know, first of all, I guess it's real. People die and you get their apartment. That's fucking real. Because I thought it was an urban myth. Uh, but uh, I was like, okay. Uh, you know, so he's telling me all this stuff that I have to do if I want to live there. And then he says, and the rent is $467.32 a month, all utilities included. Okay. <laughs> I didn't skip a beat. I was like, I'm in. Where do I sign? Like, I just handled it. So uh, I ended up signing a lease like a few hours later. And I literally, my friend with the car put like the few things I had, pulled it in, and I moved in that day. It took me about a week to get it in shape. Once I did, and I was settled in, that's when weird shit started to happen. Like I would come home from work and my TV would be on and I'd go, oh, oh, that's weird, I must be tired. And I'd turn it off, right? And then I'd come home and the TV would be on and the water would be running in the kitchen. And I was like, wait a minute, would I do that? I guess I did, and I just turned it off. Like, I didn't think anything, you guys. Like, weird shit was happening. I'm like, oops-a-daisy. I'm so flaky. Until, like, a couple months later, I come home, and uh, everything was on. My living room light, my kitchen light, my bathroom light, the water was running, my TV was on, my radio was on, and my two cats had whiskers like this, and their eyes were huge, and their tails were pointed at the sky. And I walked right down to the super's apartment and his wife answered the door and her name was Jarrett and she was stunningly beautiful and she's got their kid on her hip who looks just like Chris but tiny. And she's like, hey. And I'm like, um, Jarrett, I got a question for you. Was Chris in my apartment fixing something today? And she goes, no, why? 
And I just took a moment and I said, did that girl die in my apartment? And she goes, let me put the baby down, I'll be right over. <laughs> Slams the door in my face. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so I run to, I walk down the hallway, I wait for her by the door and I'm like, I live in a fucking ghost house. This is both, like, I'm just like, what the fuck? So I go down and she comes in, she goes, open the door, we're going in. I open the door and she starts praying on everything. <laughs> She's like, Lord Jesus, please let this spirit be free. Let the spirit be free. Let this spirit go. You can go now. You can go now. All this shit, right? She's praying in my bathroom. She's praying over the closet. She's praying over everything. So she, and I'm just standing there just like, what the fuck is going on? And then when she's done, she just goes, everything should be okay now. And goes home and I'm like, fuck. So I'm just like, oh my God, I need to smoke out. I'm never going to fall asleep again. You know, because honestly, it, like I was terrified living with a ghost, but where the fuck was I going? I'm paying $467.32, all utilities included, to live two blocks from Central Park, to be near the one and the nine, the A, the C, the E, and the N, and the R. I'm going nowhere. <laughs> Blood could be coming out of the faucets and I'd be like, oh, there we go, clean it up. 467.32, you know, like all my friends were broke. I'm like, I'm going to see a Broadway show. So, uh, well, believe it or not, it worked. It worked for a short period of time. I had no paranormal activity. It just stopped. And I was just like, wow, Jesus really believes in getting rid of like, wow, that's pretty fucking cool. Until it was three and a half years later, I started packing up to move to L.A., and that's when shit started popping off again. And it was the same stuff. I had this, I, and I'll just give you a detail. I had this uh, Salvador Dali print that I got at the Dali Museum when I was visiting Florida. And it was on this wall that was facing 56. No neighbors out there, just pigeons, right? Like, no neighbors. And it would do this. Slap, slap, slap. And I would just go, <laughs> you know. <laughs> when the taxis honk, it, you know, like... <laughs> Because I like to live in denial, okay? I like to live in denial. I'm like, oh, the TV turned on again. Fucking bad wiring, you guys. You know, water starts pouring out. I'm like, 1920s plumbing. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, but uh, my ghost did not like being minimized. And um, she did something that made me actually have to talk to her. So it's like, I'm like two weeks out from moving to L.A. And oh, first, I have to tell you, in my bathroom, whoever lived there before me, I don't know which tenant it was. It was a very old building. They painted the light fixture shut because they're an asshole. <laughs> so the only way to turn the light on is I would have to climb up on my toilet because I'm tiny, reach up and screw it in or screw it out. There's no way to turn it on unless you twist the bulb into the fucking socket. So I'm laying in bed. I'm watching Letterman. And I'm like, <sighs> and I hear... Squeak, 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 squeak. Oh. Fucking light comes on. And my heart's racing just telling you this story. Oh. Like, and just my heart started racing. I was just like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Like, it was just like a horror film, but I knew I wasn't going to die, right? I'm just like, ah. so I did that scared run that you do. It's like you're walking on hot coals. You're like, ah, 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 ah. So I do the scared run to the bathroom and I jump up on the toilet, I unscrew the light bulb, I jump down and I haul ass back into bed and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And then I hear, squeak, squeak, squeak. Yes, bitch, squeak. <laughs> yes. 
So I hear squeak, 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 pop, and I'm just like, fuck. So that's when I was like, I all of a sudden I turned into a heroine from a horror film because I was like, fuck this. Like, I got to handle it. Like, I don't know what to do, but I got to handle it. So I went back into the bathroom and I got on the toilet and I unscrewed the light bulb. And then I got back onto the bathroom floor and I went like this. <laughs> and first, before I tell you the rest of the story, I'm sure you're thinking, well, why didn't she just throw the light bulb in the garbage? Here's my answer to that. I didn't want to hear that shit float out from the garbage can <laughs> and screw itself in. Because what I was experiencing was like scary enough. So I stand in the bathroom and I just go, I know you're upset about me moving. I'm upset about it too. I don't know if I'm ready to move to LA, but I'm really stressed out. I'm really tired. Please let me sleep tonight. I didn't run back to my futon. I went like this. And I got in bed because I was like, you better shut the fuck up. You just don't turn on the goddamn light. She didn't turn it on again that night. And I didn't have any more paranormal activity for the last two and a half weeks that I lived there. And I have to tell you, like I thought I could never live with a ghost. I am grateful for having lived with a ghost because it prepared me for much scarier living situations. Like the time I lived with a guy who lived off of me and his parents and jerked off to internet porn. That was much worse. I would live with a ghost again any day. Up in the little attic of this little house, there lived a little ghost. Every night, at the same time, he gave the loose board on the stairs a little creak. And the parlor door a little squeak. And then the stairs creaked again. And the parlor door squeaked again. Shut the fuck up, little ghost! Shut the fuck up! So my grandmother was a Santeras which means that she practiced Santeria, which means that she was a Puerto Rican witch. And I mean that in the most respectful way possible. For those of you who don't know, Santeria is what's known as a syncretic religion. It combines the Yoruba faith of West Africa with the indigenous folklore of the Bariqua Indians of Puerto Rico. When the missionaries started their work, it then became fused with Catholicism. So as a result, my grandmother was a devout Catholic who attended Mass every single day of her life. She also cast spells, removed curses, prepared baths that cleansed your soul, talked to the dead, and saw your future. She also made the best pancakes I have ever had in my life. And she was a tiny woman. She was four foot 11, never spoke a word of English, but understood it perfectly. And I do not speak Spanish, but I understand it very well. And so the conversations between my grandmother and I were these really kind of belabored secret decoder ring kind of conversations where we would try to like figure out what each one is saying and then we would say something back and then they would try to figure out what we were saying. So yeah, it was an interesting, uh, <laughs> it was an interesting communicating with my grandmother.
for anyone who knows me, it, it's unsurprising that I'm the skeptic of the family. And, and I have always been, have always been that way. Um, so even when I was a little boy, I never really believed anything that my grandmother did was real. She loved the fact that I'm a skeptic. Never had a problem with it. She always felt that people should find their own way to the things that mean the most to them. Because I was kind of force-fed religion at an early age. I went to uh, Roman Catholic school for the first seven years of my educational life. And even then, just knowing then that I just, I, I knew I didn't believe in any of it. But I was going through the motions because I thought that I was supposed to do. However, I'm also a professional magician. And that is my livelihood and have been doing that for a very, very long time. And my grandmother <laughs> always found it very interesting that for someone who didn't believe in magic, I sure practiced a lot of it. Now, I would argue that what I do isn't what she does, or at least what she purports to do. But from my grandmother's point of view, it's really about the metaphor. But she did things that I just can't explain. Uh, one of the stories is that she managed to get a junior congressman acquitted from embezzlement charges using a mixed powder spell. At least that's the way the story goes. Another story is that she didn't like her upstairs neighbor. Apparently this woman was very loud and got very angry and belligerent anytime anyone asked her to keep it down. So my grandmother, using an incense and oil spell, managed to get her to move. Apparently to another state. <laughs> Again, I mean, I don't know how much of that for me, I can really take to heart, but there is one time that she used her magic on me. Growing up, I've had asthma my entire life. Asthma is terrifying. The best analogy I think I can come up with is a fish out of water. If you take a fish out of a fish tank and just put it on a desk and watch it struggle for some kind of breath, that is the closest equivalent that I could possibly point to. Nothing you can do can get enough air into your lungs because your lungs are essentially filling with fluid. And it's kind of terrifying. I mean, especially when I was little and I didn't really understand what was going on with me. All I knew is that I couldn't breathe. And as a shy kid who read a lot of comic books and books and adventure stories, there are a lot of people who die from suffocation in Batman comic books. And, you know, the, the Joker decides to gas a room and everybody's suffocating. And that was what I was reading at nine years old. I love Batman. I mean, emotionally, I think I became quite cynical to it pretty young because I, I had gotten it so much and had been hospitalized so much that in my head, it's like, oh, oh, well, I guess here we go again. You know, here we go to the hospital and I have to breathe in medicine and stuff. Growing up, this was always, always a big deal. In fact, whenever little Nelson had even the rumor of an impending asthma attack, the general rule, the protocol was to just rush me to the nearest emergency room or I could die. You know, this was before the advent of rescue inhalers, before those were pretty commonplace. I must have been 10 years old and I was staying with my grandmother and I got a very sudden and, and pretty severe asthma attack, but she didn't take me to the hospital. In fact, she basically broke every rule of the little Nelson Lugo protocol and she took me by the hand and led me to this one room in her giant Bronx apartment that I was just never allowed to go into before. It's called her saint's room. 
the door opens and I am just hit with sensory overload. It's, it's just a cacophony of information. There's, it's a narrow room, and at the end of it is just one window, and so that's where all the light is coming into. But every square inch of this room is covered with tables and shelves and all kinds of stuff, and every square inch of the tables and shelves are just covered with covered with something sacred to her. There's rocks and crystals and beaded necklaces and rosaries and painted rocks and dead flowers. And, and like there are crosses everywhere in the room. Dying Jesuses are everywhere in this room. Pictures of Jesus are everywhere in this room. In the corner, there's about a dozen plastic Smurf figurines for some odd reason. And then uh, next to that is a large toy horse that went to my Lone Ranger action figure that I've been missing for months. And then next to that, there was a large bust of a Native American man with this huge, real feather headdress. I think it was a genuine feather headdress. And smoked cigars were in ashtrays and then just piles of pennies and then just bottles of just oils and powders and just like, it was crazy. It was crazy. And there was just a rainbow of lit candles throughout the room. And then the air was had this heavy scent of wax and perfumed alcohol in it. And at this point, I'm wheezing now heavily and my breath is coming in short gasps and she hands me these bouquet of flowers to give to this four-foot handmade doll called Mama. And this doll had seashell earrings and was wearing a white scarf and a white dress with a white head wrapping and was made from the blackest material I've ever seen in my entire life with button eyes and a, and a red string smile. She starts grabbing powders and oils off the shelves and she starts grabbing silk scarves and she starts dousing the silk scarves with all these oils and powders and then she starts chanting this ancient whispered secret prayer that just has a whole lot of s's in it you know like like and then she starts rubbing my chest with these silk scarves all the while just chanting this secret prayer and i am freaking the fuck out now and i'm really scared and my breath is just coming really in short gasps and she sits me on the floor uh, and she places a white bowl by my feet and I'm kind of terrified now and uh, it feels like there's an elephant just sitting on my chest and it just it seems like a, a fight to get every molecule of air into my lungs and I'm sweating from the exertion and I'm starting to cry now and then out of nowhere there's now a live chicken in the room and now she's holding a really big knife and then she just holds up the chicken and she holds up the knife and then she just slits this chicken's throat and there's just so much blood there's blood just coming out of this tiny little fucking chicken and the chicken even didn't even make a sound and then and then I could breathe and I have no idea how she did that I, I really don't Now, to be clear, Nelson, the adult, science-loving skeptic, believes that the ritual, combined with the sensory overload that created a sort of hyper-emotional state, created what's known as a placebo effect. Uh, my body rushed with adrenaline, and that allowed my lungs to function. It's also entirely possible that I was just too fucking terrified to have an asthma attack at that point. 
However, little Nelson, the scared little boy who couldn't breathe, he believes it could have been magic. So I guess that begs the question, does it really matter? And to be honest, I don't know. I'm just, I'm very grateful to be alive. And my grandmother passed away four years ago now. And I think about her a lot still, you know? I mean, when a lot of people think about magic and they think about, you know, wands and bunny rabbits and for better or for worse, Harry Potter movies. But when I think about magic, I think about a four foot 11 soft-spoken Puerto Rican witch whose pancakes I still miss very much. This is Risk. This is Natasha Atlas behind me now. And we just heard from Nelson Lugo. Before that, a little interstitial by our own editor, Jeff Barr, called The Little Mickey Ficken Ghost. And I want to call your guys' attention to the fact I'm on a podcast this week. I'm the featured guest on a podcast this week called On Books. And I really loved doing this interview. It was the rare interview where I'm not talking about kinky sex or inebriated adventures. I'm talking about the book Catching the Big Fish by David Lynch and how it has informed my own practice of transcendental meditation lately. Chris Castiglione is the host. He brings on fascinating people to share about a book that really meant something to them. You don't have to have read the book because the guest will kind of give you the Cliff's Notes. But Chris, you know, engages them in a conversation about, you know, what they got out of it. Books like Mating in Captivity, Letters to a Young Poet, Sex at Dawn, The Power of Now. You're going to want to check it out. Just go to iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast, and download On Books. You can also go to on-books.com and check it out online. And right now is the time I am supposed to tell you that today's episode is brought to you by Harry's at harrys.com. 
Listen, guys, do yourself a huge favor and get on over there to H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com and save $5 off your first purchase with the promo code RISK. Harry's uses only the finest crafted German-engineered blades to give you the smoothest shave you will ever have had. I've used it, and I swear to God, it makes me feel baby smooth. And this is all at a fraction of the cost of what you would be paying if you went to the pharmacy to get your blades. Harry's ships to you for free. You get this starter kit with a beautiful chrome razor, three blades, this beautifully luxurious feeling shave cream. You could be spending about $35 for all of this, but you'll only be spending $15 on this starter kit. Remember, you're gonna be saving $5 when you're using the promo code RISK. So again, it's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com, free shipping. You're gonna save $5 when you use the promo code RISK and take it from me. You really will be amazed at what a great smooth shave you're getting for so much less than what you'd be paying at the store with harrys.com. Our final story on today's episode comes to us from comedian Chris Iacono. I don't think I have to explain to you that Chris hails from New York City. Here he is now with a story we call Frankie and Johnny. I've always considered myself a skeptic. Whenever it came to anything paranormal, unexplained, spirits, ghosts, demons, I need evidence. If you would ask me 10 years ago, hey Chris, do you believe in ghosts? I'd laugh and say, no, you've seen way too many horror movies. If you would ask me that question now, because of my skepticism and an experience that I cannot explain, I would have to answer, I don't know. A little bit of backstory to what happened that night in 2007. I had just moved back to New York a year prior to do comedy. My grandmother was thrilled to hear that her grandson was back in the city. Like most Italian grandmas, she opened her home to me. And as most artists in New York, I didn't turn down the cheap rent. I also didn't want to turn down hanging out with my grandma and getting free pasta on Sundays. That alone is worth its weight in gold to a struggling artist in New York. My grandma lived in Dyker Heights, Brooklyn, which in the 50s and 60s and 70s was a very Italian neighborhood. And when I say very Italian, I mean fig trees, homemade wine, block parties. Everybody in the neighborhood knew everybody else's business. I mean, they literally hung their underwear out to dry for everybody to see. This was the house and the neighborhood my father grew up in. Across the street, with two of his lifelong friends, Frankie and Johnny. Frankie, the younger brother, Johnny, the older. He grew up with these guys. Frankie was his best friend. And his kids, they'd gone through a lot. You know, this was uh, 1960s Brooklyn. It was perfectly fine to grab the belt and do whatever you wanted to your kids. 
So they used to confide in each other a lot. Been through hell and back is how they used to describe their friendship. My father was such good friends with them. When I was a kid growing up, every time we went over to my grandmother's house for dinner, he would always duck off afterwards and go say hi to Frankie and Johnny and go hang out for a little bit. They were friends from the old days, and it showed. So I knew both of them since I was a young kid, five, six years old, me younger. They definitely met me when I was a baby. Frankie has a medical condition called Crohn's disease, and it's not good. It's painful, takes a lot of surgery, medication, and destroys your intestines. Two days prior to this night in 2007, Frankie had just gotten out of the hospital from one of his many surgeries and was recovering at home. So there we are, me and my father, in my grandmother's basement, about 8 o'clock at night. He had come by earlier in the day, in between his work shifts, to say hello. And all of a sudden, we saw flashing ambulance lights outside. Being the neighborhood that it is, you, you get up and you look. And we walked outside and realized that the ambulance was parked in front of Frankie and Johnny's house. And they were carting Frankie off in a stretcher. My father starts freaking out. Oh my God, what's happening? What's going on? Johnny's trying to calm him down. Turns out that his surgery from a few days ago had an infection. And he had to get rushed back to the hospital. Finally, we realize there's nothing we can do. We go back home. Johnny says he'll let us know what's going on. So we're back in the basement. My father lays down on the couch and falls asleep. I'm watching TV, completely sober, no alcohol, no drugs, nothing. But an hour and a half goes by. I hear a knock, knock, knock on the door. I get up. I open up the door. I push the screen door open, and it's Frankie standing there. I kind of did like a little double take, thinking to myself, what? Oh, okay, it, I guess everything was all right. Hey, Frankie, how's it going? <laughs> Frankie looked pale, and he had his, his hoodie up, and he says in a weak voice, Is your father here? And I turn back, and I, I see he's sleeping on the couch. I say, yeah, he's here, but he, he's asleep. You want me to wake him up? And Frankie says, no, no, no. That's okay. I'll come back. And I say, all right. And I shut the door and turn around, and I'm a little confused. And my father wakes up and says, who was that? Who was that? I said, oh, Dad, that was Frankie. He's, I guess he's, he's okay. He wanted to just say hi. That wasn't Frankie, Chris. That was, Frankie's at the hospital. What are you talking about? I said, no, Dad. Frankie, yeah, it was just Frankie at the door. I told him you were taking a nap. That had to be Johnny. No, Dad, I know the difference between the two. That was Frankie. It turned into a 20-minute argument. That was Frankie. That was Johnny. That was Frankie. It couldn't have been Frankie. It had to be Johnny. Finally, my father's like, all right, enough. We're going to bed. Tomorrow, we'll go over there, and I'm going to thank Johnny for coming by. So you could see that it was Johnny that knocked on the door and not Frankie. Great, let's do that, Dad. So the next day rolls around. Me and my father get up. We get some breakfast. We get a couple cups of coffee. We walk across the street and knock on Frankie and Johnny's door. Who opens it up? Johnny. 
immediately my father's like, oh, Johnny, hey, thank you so much for coming by last night to let me know what was going on with your brother. Oh, I'm sorry I was asleep. I had to, I had to take a nap. Oh, thank you, thank you. Johnny looks at him and goes, Georgie, what are you talking about? I didn't, I didn't come by your house last night. And my father starts grilling him. You didn't come by my house last night? And my kid answered the door? And you told him, I'll come back later and talk to him? No, Georgie, what are you talking about? What's going on here? I didn't come by last night. I was checking in and out on Frankie at the hospital. What happened? Well, my father looks at me. I look at Johnny and I explain to him exactly what happened the previous night. And he's looking at me in disbelief. He's got an expression on his face like, okay, yeah. You must have been sleeping. You didn't see anything. Okay, sure, sure, sure. Johnny tells us that his brother's in recovery. He'll be home in a few days. So we go home and wait it out. A few days go by. Frankie gets out of the hospital. He's back at his house recovering. My dad and I go over there to say hello and see how he's doing. And he's all messed up. Two major surgeries in the last week. He's not in good shape. We're all hanging out in the living room, trying to lighten the mood. Everyone's cracking some jokes. And we started talking to him about what happened that night. And my father chimes in and says, look, Frankie, you know, my son, you know, something happened. And he, you know, we wanted to just ask you about it. And Frankie says, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I look at Frankie and I say, yeah, the night you went to the hospital, about an hour and a half later, I heard a knock on my door and opened it and it was you. And you were asking if my father was around and I told you he was sleeping and you said goodbye and and you left. Frankie's face went white. He looked panicked. He started stuttering like, uh, 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 uh. We're all looking at him like, what, 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 what happened, what happened? Frankie's a really religious guy, so he was scared. He looks at me and says, when they brought me back to the hospital, they had to rush me into surgery. And when I woke up the next day, they told me that I flatlined on the table. I had a dream that night that I was walking down the block looking for your father and I walked over to your house went to the door and knocked and when it opened everything went white I don't remember anything after that but waking up in the hospital the next day what we had experienced in my opinion was a confirmed ghost sighting I saw my father's dead friend attempt to say goodbye to him not only did I witness the apparition but my father heard me witnessing the apparition Johnny confirmed it was not him doing the apparitioning and the apparition in question when put on the spot confirmed that he had died the moment I saw him and had knocked on my door. Now, if that isn't a ghost, then I don't know what is. At the very least, it's evidence to me that there's more going on than I understand.
That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is the Psychedelic Furs behind me now. Holy shit, I loved that song when I was a freshman in high school. Okay, listen, we have a lot coming up, as you know. Live shows that we want you to come to and live shows that we want you to pitch us your stories for. We are in Atlanta, Georgia on uh, the 6th of November. That's this coming Friday. And then on the 14th of November, we're in Milwaukee. We are actually still taking pitches for the Milwaukee show. The theme is Fuck This. If you've got a good fuck this story, email me right away at kevin at risk-show.com if you live anywhere near Milwaukee. Then on the 19th, we're in New York. On the 21st, we're in Cleveland, Ohio. The theme that night is so emotional. We're still taking pictures for that one, so write to me, Clevelanders. Then on the 28th, we're in L.A., On the 12th of December, we're in Salt Lake City. The theme that night is Twisted. Send me your Twisted pitches, Utah folks. Now, what if you're thinking, oh, well, I would like to pitch, but I don't really know how to tell a story. Listen, just get on over to thestorystudio.org. We have the best courses there that you can take online in your own time video lectures there's handouts you can download to workshop your stories you could contact me and workshop a story one-on-one if you'd like over skype if you're in los angeles or new york or now minneapolis amy salloway the wonderful amy salloway is going to be teaching classes for us in minneapolis the first one of those is happening on november 7th from 12 to 4 and november 8th from 12 to 2.30 at the Phoenix Theater. But to sign up, you got to go to thestorystudio.org. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. Oh, <laughs>